Hey everybody, welcome to the Spliff Podcast. I'm Bo Ellis, and this is episode 66, All the Flavors of the Flower, Mostly Terpenes. It's a busy day today, so I don't know how long this is going to be, and I definitely got the neighbors, I don't know, I think they're cleaning upstairs, so it might get noisy, uh, but we're going to push through that anyway. Open things up with stoner moments. In the last episode, I talked about stone drivers, specifically me and my experience in being a stone driver and how important it is to society that I remain such. And I mentioned a, a podcast that talked about an accelerator issue where people were hitting the accelerator thinking they were hitting the brake. And I attributed that story to This American Life. And like two seconds after I posted the podcast, I was like, fuck, that was Malcolm Gladwell's revisionist history which I love. I love them both. They're both a really great podcast. I can't wait for season two of Revisionist History. I'm very excited. And while we're talking about podcasts, I also forgot to mention that Marijuana Today has a new podcast they're calling Story Hour, and it's officially out in the iTunes store. You can subscribe to it. It has one episode out, which if you're a subscriber to MJ Today and or MJ Today Daily, which you should be, then uh, you've probably already heard the story, but subscribe anyway, and then you'll get them when they have, whenever they come out. I don't know when that is yet. I think it's supposed to come out next week, though. And that's MJ Today Story Hour. I think if you look at Marijuana Today, it should pop up. All three of theirs pop up right away, and Story Hour is right next to it. It is not an hour-long podcast as of yet. But speaking of fantastic podcast, uh, I also was talking about the Grow From Your Heart podcast last week, and I said I was getting to know the gang and this and that, and I mentioned Lindsay the Traveling Hippie, but that wasn't right. It's Lindsay the Traveling Stoner and my friend Bonnie Sue, who's out in Colorado following her own green dream right now. What's up, girl? She's Traveling Gypsy Hippie, and I just got them confused. So that was me. But Lindsay, the traveling stoner, also just wanted to say again, Rasta Jeff rocks my world. I love catching up on all the podcasts. I'm hooked. I listen to at least, I try to listen to at least two or three a day. And because there's so many, he's already caught up and I've still got like two thirds of his podcast to go. But I listened to one that was really great that I can't believe I haven't thought of doing myself yet. And that one featured White Mike. It's episode 77. And it's about how to become more involved as a local activist. And he gives some really great tips about how to get over the nervousness of, of being at the podium and what to expect when you go up to the podium, what to expect at a city council meeting, how to behave, uh, and just uh, really great practical advice. So shout out to White Mike for that. Uh, I also want to say like, Rasta Jeff and I, uh, he mentioned on his podcast that we're just one dab away from being BFFs. And I totally agree with that statement. And I did shout out to him on Twitter. I was like, we are definitely PFFs, yo, like podcast friends forever. We can say that for sure. One dab away. I think one dab away will turn that P into a B, brah. All right here. 
let's see. Oh, what else? Oh, he said something too that he didn't agree with me all the time. And I did the same thing to White Mike on the last episode. I think it was the last episode where I was like, we don't always agree. And then you don't clarify what that is. And you're like, what the fuck do we not agree on, yo? And for White Mike's case, and this is the problem with podcasting too, what you say is out there for forever, 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 forever. And you don't always hold the same thoughts forever. Uh, But White Mike had said something that he feels a lot of people's preferential treatment of strains is due to... Uh, having a bad experience with it, like when they when they're not a fan of a strain anymore, kind of like when you overdo it on a certain type of alcohol, and I don't agree with that. But that, that I mean, that's a, I mean, I do and I don't. I think that that's certainly one causation, but I don't think that I ever had a really bad experience with sour diesel, and that's why I don't like it. I think I would just rather have a bazillion other fruity strains. But I have to have the sour diesel with my depression. I, I mean, I talk about it on the podcast all the time where I like, I don't like it. I don't care for it. It doesn't get me going at all. But I know that when I need to use it as medicine, it's the strain that gets me going. So that's where I was like, eh, me, 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 me. So if you were wondering, dude, that's all it was. But I also totally see where you're coming from in that. Not that big a deal. Uh, let's see, going back to that part of the squad dabbing granny, I mentioned that she had shouted out to me on the YouTubes and stuff. And then I don't know, she heard my story about the Instagram dude and was like, fuck that anxiety shit. I'm fucking blowing you up. But she shouted me out on Instagram, like full on screenshot, follow this chick. She's rad. And I woke up in the morning, my Instagram was totally blowing up on me. And I was like, something's got to be up here. Uh, I bet it's stabbing granny. And it totally was. So, so much love. Thank you guys so much. I mean, she definitely unleashed something in me because I think I've posted to Instagram almost every day since. So if you want to, if you want to dab with me, follow me on Instagram. Let's see, where else have I been feeling the love? Oh, I went and spent New Year's with my foster family. Um, they're a, a, fa- a Mexican family that, that took this gringa loca in. And uh, and uh, they've never been able to get rid of me. They're constantly surprised that I keep showing up. But I keep showing up. So God bless them for it. But I introduced them to Soothing Sues. Uh, I introduced them to, to pot lotion before where I would just make my coconut oil, mix it into a lotion and bring it to them. And uh, my, so my foster family, uh, they're actually my best friend's family. My best friend, he's uh, Mexican, second generation Mexican. And is it third generation now? I don't know how the whole thing works. But anyway, he's basically pretty white. And in a lot of ways, I speak way more Spanish than he does. But at the same time, they're Mexican and I'm not. So uh, but I introduced him to the whole pot lotion thing and we were hanging out on New Year's and I had, I had to bring over some more soothing Sue's because it works and they, they can't believe it, but it works and I'm so excited. So I told him Yami's story about, uh, 
pot lotion and how <laughs> when you give, you know, like when you give the Latino community their, their pot lotion and, and then you try it and they're like, oh, no, 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 did you take my pot lotion? Oh, my God. I love that story so much. Um, and one of the reasons why it made me think of it on top of the soothing sues was that they were telling me about how her dad used to have a bottle with the big old colas in it too that they would use as a topical never to drink just topically and i was like yeah that's that's tradition like you're just you're going back to your roots i swear to you all right this shit works yo and they're like you're right this shit works don't you dare take my pot lotion so cute so all kinds of love basically this all boils down to Bo rang in the new year feeling myself feeling myself all right a uh, couple other things just two more things here real quick uh my nail that i slammed into the window and had in pot lotion for that whole time it's doing fantastically well it's about halfway healed and i don't know what kind of scarring is going to come out of it but there doesn't seem to be any scarring at the root of the nail and it's definitely been salvaged so woohoo! halfway there i'll keep you posted and then the last thing I wanted to say, this isn't really quite a stoner moment, but I, I, I wanted to share the story with you. I'm in California. We passed Prop 64. Legal weed is not available, but if you can score some weed, you can legally possess it right now. And it's freed up a whole lot of people's anxieties. And it's also freed up a lot of different opportunities that you might not have thought about. One of those things being how hard it can be to get replacement pieces for your pieces. Uh, if you've ever had to buy a replacement down stem or a replacement bowl, or if you want to maybe get yourself a banger for your bong and, and try out that whole dabbing thing, and you're not in a legal state... You really need to know a lot of specifics about your pieces. And it's really difficult a lot of times. There are so many times where I just wouldn't get something. I just wouldn't use a piece anymore because I didn't have the, the ability to, to get a measuring thing and, and find the diameter of the hole and know if it was a 14 or a 16. And I didn't have the $25 to spend to get a piece and then take it home and then have to return it because it didn't fit. But in this legalized state, when I wanted to try and find a quartz banger for my dab rig, all I had to do well, I had already cleaned out my dab rig, so it wasn't even that. But I don't even have to clean out my dab rig. All I had to do was dump out that water, throw it in a pillow, put it in my car, and walk into the head shop with it. Because I can legally possess it now. One of the things that opened me up to it was when I had walked into that head shop a couple days earlier, just checking out their stuff after I broke my bongs and all that wishful thinking... I was checking out the display cases and I saw in the center display case on top of one of the very beautiful bongs, this even more beautiful, super fat bud just chilling in the display case in this head shop and it is totally legal to exist there. That's a nice perk. If any of my bongs had been salvageable, maybe I would have been able to bring them in and get them retrofitted. 
No more anxiety, no more code words, no more tobacco water pipe, water tobacco pipe, whatever. I never said it right. They always scowled at me because I was like, it's a fuck, the bong, I, the, the, the water thing. I don't know. I'm sorry. I don't speak in double speak. I hate that. But anyway, so I hope you enjoy that little, that little story there. On to terpenes. Wait, no shit. I forgot one more thing. I got my first voicemail. What's up, dude? Who called me? Left a message. You didn't leave your name, but I believe you're out of Michigan. I think I saw uh, that number pop up on, on my calls and I got it. Thank you so much. Again, so much love. I'm feeling myself and it's all because you guys are sharing it. I appreciate it. Okay, for real now, terpenes. I've talked about them before. If you're new to the podcast, I have 65 plus two bonus episodes that you can check out that deal with a wide range of both basic and advanced cannabis information. And terpenes are essential to understanding the difference between indica and sativa. So you can definitely get a broader understanding of how to apply these terpenes to your medicinal needs through that podcast. But right now we're going to talk really more just about terpenes, where they're at in the industry, what the future holds, what to know about them, and how they differentiate mostly cannabis concentrates. That's where they really play a predominant role. Though, that's not to say that they aren't exceptionally important in your flower. It just means that we get to a, a better understanding of how terpenes play when we create these concentrates. So outside of the science with the goobly-gobbly hydrocarbon chains thingy and, and the fact that they are, are being synthesized in the very earliest stages, uh, and that even cannabinoids themselves could be classified as terpenes. And, and this is something that I think we need to clarify straight out the gate is that I'm going to go into a very murky part of the botanical sciences and where they, they cross over with chemistry and things like that. And these kind of processes that are in the plant that aren't really illuminated yet, but there's going to be a whole lot of money being thrown into the understanding of it. And hopefully they don't all keep it proprietary. Hopefully some of it is shared. Fingers crossed. So terpenes are the largest class of natural plant products. They are the things that are in your essential oils. So not just the cannabis plant, but the entire plant kingdom. Um, they are the plant's natural defenses. They help fight against bugs, UV light, mold, fungus. But they also are their natural attractants. Uh, there's a reason why flowers smell so so good is because... They are meant to smell good and to bring you closer in so that you can help in their pollination process. Now, where cannabis really stands out is that it produces one of the most, if not the most, diverse group of terpenes of any plant or insect, because some insects also produce terpenes. In fact, humans probably produce terpenes too, because again, this is a very complicated chemical thing that we're talking about here. And in some ways, some things that humans produce might be considered 
Turpinesque. But what I have classified in the last 65 plus two bonus episodes as terpenes is much more than just terpenes. And first, I got to say, I have done a lot of mispronouncing of a lot of different terpene names because they get very sciencey. And anybody who's actually involved and knows what they're talking about and has had to listen to my podcast has probably turned it off by now and or corrects me every single time I say it, which I would totally understand. Things like beta-caryophylline, which I'm pretty sure I have said beta-caryophylline every single time. Uh, Linalol, I think I, I found out, is linalol. There's so many. There's so many that... I will probably continue to mispronounce. So like I say in my trivia shows, I don't guarantee to pronounce anything correctly. My apologies, but I'm going to try. So I'm going to go over some of the other things that add to the fragrance part of not just a cannabis plant, but the plant kingdom in general and some insects and, and kind of break down, uh, some of the, the nuances that really help develop specific strain characteristics. And I'm getting this information from a website called Abundant Health for You. And the U is just the letter U.com. And I will have the link on the blog posting for this podcast on my website, thespliffpodcast.com. Uh, so let's go over it. Terpenes are the larger groups of terpenoids that are usually the things that are being tested for and are showing up on those test results. The beta-caryophylline, the uh, linalol, again, uh, limonene, lemonene, apinene. These are the largest groups and they're the easiest to find, which is why they make the most sense, financially speaking, to test for. And they're pretty good indicators of what to expect of the kind of quality that you can get out of it, but they aren't everything. And I have touted many times that cannabis derived terpenes are very different than distilled terpenes. And some of the reasons for that is because of these other things that go into it. Esters, aldehydes, ketones, alcohols, phenols, and oxides. And there might be more. I don't fucking know. I'm still just kind of learning this thing. But according to this website, things like linalool, uh, geraniol, and I don't even know how to say that. Citronellol. Citronellol. Oh, here's another thing. I finally remembered how to say kindergarten teacher. I don't know why I couldn't say kindergarten teacher a couple of weeks ago. I could only say kindergartner teacher. Trust me. I tried and it was painful. So I edited it out. And then the next day I woke up and I was like, kindergarten teacher. Boom. All right. I got to get real good at pronouncing these things so I can get all the cannabis voiceover jobs. Here we go. But those are actually, uh, okay, what the fuck was I talking about? Linalool, citronellol, those are alcohols. Those are classified as terpene alcohols. And... Terpenes themselves actually seem to begin the synthesis process from an alcohol. And alcohol bases actually play a really important step in the, the different classifications of these fragrance inducers. 
the biggest in the market right now are esters, which according to this website is a reaction of an alcohol with an acid, which is known as esterification. And apparently this is a really common thing in a lot of essential oils. But if you know anything about alcohols versus an oil, then you would know that alcohols are even more they're, they're even more volatile than an oil is. So they're more likely to change much more rapidly and to hang around a lot less longer. Now, when you look at different, uh, different essential oils and the fragrance industry in general, and the fragrance industry is a great industry to look towards for better uh, scientific methodology for extractions, for different fragrance compounds and compositions. And I can guarantee you that the fragrance industry is going to be looking towards cannabis-derived terpene compilations in order to better unlock those those scent formulas that they have. But the, the esters in the cannabis industry right now are really kind of booming. All of those strawberry banana strains that are really, really on trend right now, those are mostly because of ester terpenes, the esters that are there. Uh, I don't know how to say it all the time in order to, to make it come across in other conversations. I'll probably just call it terpenes again. And if I know that I can call it an ester terpene, or just an ester. I don't know. I've got a lot of learning to do. And I feel like this is getting really rambly. So I really got to get it back on point. I got to get off this website and back to my outline. Oh, right. One of the things that I wanted to talk about, going back to that uh, acidic formulation, changing the oils and the alcohols into different terpene groups. I'm calling them terpene groups, whether that's correct or not. Maybe I should call them fragrance groups. Uh in doing that, THCA is actually an ester. When you categorize things in that way, the the carboxyl molecule that is attached to it that makes it an acid, makes it an acetate, which could be determined as an ester. And cannabinoids are a form of terpene since they both begin that synthesis in the same stage. And then based on things like genetics and its growing environment, uh, then become expressed in different ways, which is what determines its phenotype. Now, does the THCA actually contribute to any of the sweet and floral scents that esters are typically known for in the fragrance industry? No, because one, it's crystalline. It's not, it doesn't have any of that uh, volatile, odiferous, off-putting kind of reaction going on. And that's one of the reasons why it'll be thought of much more as an acetate than an ester in a lot of ways. But chemically speaking, as far as a botanist might be concerned, they, they could very well be classified as the same thing. I also learned that it's water-soluble in small doses. And I'm going to have the link to the blog posting for that as well. So in the plant, they all begin the same way, which is why they can all be categorized the same way. But as you begin to separate out those categorizations, each one has a responsibility towards a certain fragrance mode and model or, or category that you could put it in. Uh, again, the esters being known for the sweet 
and floral producing. Esters are what you pull out of rose petals in order to make rose water. It's also what is responsible primarily in the cannabis plant for that strawberry banana smell. Probably not the only thing, but as opposed to the monoterpenes, the diterpenes, and the sesquiterpenes, which are the large groups that they're looking for, the easiest uh, hydrocarbon molecules to find, the smaller, very volatile alcohol ones are very difficult to find but really are the primary factor for creating those tiny nuances because our body knows that they are there. The way that terpenes come across in our body, our esters, or all the fragrance categories, is that they prime our body to utilize cannabinoids. They actually tell our body how to employ the cannabinoid that is there. And that signaling is what creates the difference between the understanding of an indica versus a sativa in all of the, I'm say it again, nuances of a hybrid that play a part in our experience. And this was most notably brought to, you know, the, the kind of culture, the whole stoner culture, when with legalization came the distillates that are there. And Ross and Jeff talked about taking a straight THC distillate hit and how there was no expansion, how it was completely smooth because there was no signaling in the terpenes. Uh, a lot of those terpenes have bronchodilative, is that a word? Properties. I'm going to say that it's a word. They, they encourage the bronchodilation, the expansion of the lungs, whereas THC in and of itself doesn't. And if you remove THC from the, the resin casing that it is in, that cellulose material is also, it can be very harsh to the lungs. So if you remove the cannabinoid material from its casing, there's really, it's just heat. And if you're used to the heat, then there's nothing necessarily there to make you cough if you have a good lung function because it's vaporized especially if it's a dab and in his case it certainly was so the latest thing has been to take that base that thc or thca base i would prefer thca base myself uh is to take those t those bases and then layer terpenes on top of them and in order to do that, you have to create these terpene profiles. And the terpene profiles that are on the market really tend to do two things. They follow uh, the old school strains, the tried and true strains that a lot of people are gonna know over, over a period of four to five decades. And it also, especially in the cartridges, tends to reflect the fads in the market according to both the different types of cannabis cups and what's currently available in food-based terpenes because people are, I don't know, people when they grow strains and then they flush it with these different flavors, strawberry and grape and fucking Kool-Aid, I don't know what the fuck they're, they're mixing it with, but they completely destroy a, a cultivar's the integrity of the strain in order to boost one particular flavor. And it's a lot of like we would do with a tobacco. And in tobacco, I'm not going to lie, I would indulge in that kind of thing. But in my cannabis, I ain't trying to have none of that. 
that's gross. I want my strain and any kind of mixing of that is going to to mess with the integrity of my medicinal approach. But people love candy flavored shit. So taking the cartridges, especially with the CO2, but even now with the shatter and mixing it with market terpenes is the newest thing. So you see you see them reflected back in each other. I think a lot of the growers saw these these candy flavored strains, these food flavored strains that were taking off in the CO2 cartridge market and then brought that into their garden and really tried to to cultivate a strain that could produce an equivalent in something much more natural to the plant. And that means bumping up the esters and bumping down some of the more natural terpenes like the beta-caryophylline that is so indicative of cannabis being anywhere in the vicinity. And so you have Skittles winning the Emerald Cup this year uh, with a really sweet ester-filled terp profile. The strawberry banana fads that uh, every banana is everywhere right now and strawberry on top of it. Um, They're really easy to mix with those food grade terpenes. And they also match that whole vape scene profile that is really on trend. The the blueberry e-vape juice and all the different kinds of flavors that they have, they tend to be very sweet And those are also going to be those ester alcohol flavorings uh, that people want. They just, they love them. It's it's like smoking your candy. But there are some really big difference between eating candy and smoking candy. And the same goes for those terpenes. Food-grade terpenes are distilled, usually with steam, which means that they get heated up. And that breaks them down and takes what... We're known as mono, uh, uh, monoterpenes, diterpenes, sesquiterpenes, and turns them into terpenoids, uh, degradants of those initial things. Now, this also happens on the plant naturally when it's curing. And that's one of the reasons why taking fresh frozen and making a concentrate of resin is such a superior product to most other things on the market as far as fragrance goes, as far as the clarity of the experience goes, and quite frankly, canister preference. And canister preference really does come into play because I have to say that uh, on top of all of those very fruity, sweet, food-flavored profiles, the other fad that's popping up is kosher kush, which is a true OG Kush, is also known as Jew's Gold. Jew's Gold. Damn, that's hard to say. Jew's Gold OG. It's also a terrible name, so uh, they changed it to the more culturally sensitive Kosher Kush. It's also more indicative of why it was called Jew's Gold to begin with, which is it's kosher. It was blessed by a rabbi. Like those earthy, piney, pungent, skunky tones, stoners are always going to want those in their weed too. So right now the fads, we're going to see a lot of Skittles, strawberry banana, and then that kosher kush be popping up everywhere. I can't wait. I love watching the markets. 
So, but going back to food grade distillates and terpenoids, when you when you degrade the terpenes, you go back to taking away that uniqueness. Uh, the alcohols don't last the steam distillation process, and especially if you have it running too hot. Even if you do work on keeping it cooler, you're just losing a lot of that intrinsic value out of the fresh flour, even a cured flour, because the cured flour can retain some of that natural initial uniqueness to it. Uh, the, the, The mix of different fragrance categories, it can hold on to some of it. And I have no science to prove it, but I'm pretty sure that there's some unique bonds that the cannabis plant has. So once you break those bonds, it's really hard to replicate them again. So part of the key is to extract those fragrant components with the cannabinoids as naturally as possible and with as low a temperature as possible. And I've talked about terp juice before, and that is 100% cancer grade cannabis derived terpene extract. Uh, it, It refers specifically to terpenes and all the fragrance categories that can make it through the process from the cannabis flower and will have cannabinoids in them too, but they're much lower than a lot of the uh, other cannabinoid distillates that you're going to get for sure that are like 99.9% THC or CBD. And they're going to be more in the 60 to 80% range. But that's because they have crazy high levels of, of the terpenes. And whereas on the flower, you're going to be looking, God, you're going to max out at like one and a half percent on a flower. I mean, that's, I don't even know if you can really do that. But I live in La La Land and say that you've created the most pungent fucking cannabis bud ever. You're going to max out at one and a half percent. Maybe I'm going to say 1.7 percent. I'll give you a margin of error. I'll give myself a margin of error. Uh, but while the terpenes themselves are one of the biggest classes of the plant kingdom, they're actually a really tiny part of the plant itself, and it's their volatility that makes them live so large. So when you can concentrate those out, in a typical shatter, you're going to have maybe 8%, if you're lucky, terpenes. And when you really start to get into those double digits of terpenes is when you start to see a very slick, oily consistency to your your concentrate. But unlike an oily, slick CO2 distillate, it's going to be exceptionally fragrant because it still retains a lot of those ketones and esters and the other terpenoid groups that are available on the plant throughout its life cycle and in the curing process, but aren't available once you do some sort of heat processing to it in order to distill out single or even larger group molecules, but really break apart a lot of those inherent bonds that it would otherwise have. Now, I'm not even going to try and pretend like... I can say this any better than a lot of the scientists that are out there. And and that actually, that kind of brings me to the negative review that was left on my iTunes where 
uh, whoever said it. And I'm pretty sure that was a spillover of something that probably shouldn't have even gone down on Grass City. But basically, they said that, you know, I'm just a stoner who's rambling. One, can't say I didn't tell you so. And two, that, you know, we really need scientists out there. And scientists are great. And God bless them. And stoner scientists are great. I mean, they we would be nowhere without them and, and their passion to get stoned and play in the laboratory and, and really pull what they know from one into the other. However, they don't always make the best podcasters. They don't always make the best storytellers. And they don't always make the best disseminators of information. It's good to know your strengths and your weaknesses. And I happen to, to hey, I can't even just say that I believe it anymore because I've got some pretty fucking awesome respect that I've been feeling lately coming at me. So, like, it's legit now. I have respect of my peers. And I have to understand that I do have a talent and a skill to understand this plant and then help other people understand this plant. And scientists don't always want to do that. They aren't trying. They're too busy trying to understand it in their own little sciencey heads to try to explain it to your little non-sciencey head. And I'm a pretty good go-between. So I'm going to rock that. But I still love listening to the scientist, even when I don't love listening to the scientist, because I do love understanding all of the incredible things about this plant. And there was one podcast in particular that I listened to that, and one of the guys just blew my mind. I mean, I was listening to him speak and I was like, well, fuck, man. I feel like this whole year's worth of podcasting has just been me reiterating all the things that this guy just said right now. Damn. One, good to know it was on point. Two, good to know where to find it. And that podcast was The Adam Dunn Show which I don't really listen to very often, but if I need to go and find information, I will listen to it. One of the reasons I don't listen to it is is that it's like a three-hour-long podcast. Another reason I don't listen to it is that the sound isn't consistent enough for it to carry my attention and not annoy me over three hours. And then just the group themselves isn't my thing. But they do have amazing guests and they are always looking for great information. So I can't not recommend it to you. I can just be honest and say it's not one I've subscribed to. It's just one I really like to tune into every so often and and kind of pull out of it the things that I need. It's a good reference point. And this episode, it was episode 2015-0225. I think they just do the dates that it's released. And specifically, it was the, I don't remember if it was the second or the third interview, but the guy's name is Kay of Tricome Technologies. And he's talking about not just like, I've talked about Nectar's Collective, Terp Juice, and their incredible extractions. He's going even further, and he's really trying to get those esters at a much higher percentage than anything you're going to find on the cannabis market right now. And he is looking towards industry. I've talked so many times about how the fragrance industry, how the industrial market, uh, cleansers and things like that, they are going to be all over cannabis once they really understand how potent it is and how much of an aphrodisiac, for lack of a better understandable word, it can be 
for humans. And, and he's really dialing that in right now. He talks about using 75 pounds of cannabis in order to get three grams of pure mono, dye, and sesquiterpenes. 75 pounds of flour for three grams of material. He talks about how the viscosity of this is much closer to an alcohol than an oil, um, that it could be water-soluble, uh, and that it's very caustic. It is exceptionally potent material. Oh, my God. I just want a whiff. I just want to take a whiff. Mm, I can almost smell it from here. Uh, but basically, I'm going to have a link to that show so you can listen to it. There's some sound problems. Uh, there's some some rambling parts. It's still a really great episode, at least the first two hours. And it's one of the reasons why it took me so long to put this podcast out. I have to go back and listen to it some more, too, because it's a lot of information to digest. And I really want to make sure that I catch it all. So, but I'm pretty sure you can see why at 75 pounds to get three grams of material, this isn't really something that's going to show up in your local dispensary. So we're going to go over some of the things that could be available to you, not just in your local dispensary, because if you have a local dispensary, you're going to know if you've got the terp juices and the royal sugars and the holy waters and uh, live resins, the saps, the, the oily sugars. You're going to know that. You can see that. They'll put it out for you. But if you're not in a medical state, or if you want to kind of play with your own types of, uh, of cartridges and, and things like that. Or here's a great thing to, uh, that you could use too if you are really sensitive. If you want to take the THC, the CBD out of the mix and try and get some of the benefits of cannabis, but you're just so sensitive, looking towards those food grade terpenes that are available on the market is both a legal and very non-psychoactive inducing way to experiment with different cannabis strains. And I don't, I don't want to say totally non-psychoactive um, because they do present these different changes in your body. The whole point is that you feel happier or you feel sleepier, things like that. And I don't genuinely know what's crossing the blood-brain barrier or not, but they don't they're not going to produce an overwhelming amount of nausea in you the way that THC would. You're, you're, most people don't go overboard on essential oils when they're using them just in an aromatherapy fashion. Though you could also use these for food making, I would assume too, or suppository making. If, if you get migraines and you want, you've heard all these amazing things about headband and you want to try, you want help, you want relief, but you don't want to smoke weed. Maybe you had a really bad experience. Maybe you know that your tolerance is just way too low to smoke anything that isn't tested or anything that tests higher than maybe 8% even, and you, can, you don't have access to things like that. One of your options is that you can go online and there are all kinds of places that are creating terpene mixes 
that mimic different cannabis strains. You could actually buy a headband strain. These are non-cannabis derived terpenes. They're derived from other plants because all plants, or at least most plants, make some form of terpene or the fragrance categories. And they distill those, mix them together according to the vast amount of terpene profiles that are available now. And voila, something that comes pretty close to smelling like the, the headband strain and producing a lot of similar effects to the headband strain without that magnification that THC brings with it. Uh, because the more THC, the more those effects are amplified. And you can create suppositories. You can put a couple of drops into some coconut oil, make a mold, use it as a suppository. Rectally is probably, I think, what most people go for. And you can get, hypothetically, what should become headache relief. It's a way of trying the headband strain and completely removing the THC. In fact, it's the only way I know of because cannabis-derived terpenes, when you they keep that bond intact and you're not going to, at least not yet, be able to remove those cannabinoids from those fragrant groups. Another way you can use this to add to your cannabis regimen if you're trying to boost, if you are a stoner, you're like, I want that THC, but you want to boost something a little bit more. Maybe you want to boost your own strain. The quality of weed you get isn't the greatest. It isn't the most fragrant. Uh, you can also get these uh, terpene profiles that are available and use them aromatically to prime your system before toking. I would not suggest putting them on your weed at all. You just want to use them aromatically. Mixing them into your edibles could also boost the, the effects if you mix your can of butter in with some food grade terpenes. Theoretically, depending on what you make with it, you might be able to kind of take your edibles into a more sativa or indica dominant place. Um, but it would depend on how, how well those make it through the rest of your, your whole little process there. If you do a lot of baking, I have no idea how well they'll, they'll last. I don't have a whole lot of experience with taking terpene distillates myself. I think, uh, diving more into that is really tempting, but I'm really more tempted to go towards the cannabis derived terpenes myself. In the same sense, uh, of using it aromatically for bumping up or boosting some swag, you can use it to mix effects. If you get too anxious from the strains that you have, but you know that uh, GDP every time mellows you out, having that GDP fragrance around could help take you down from that anxious place from whatever your smoking is, is taking you to. It's a great way to be able to experiment and still hold on to the comfort of a well-known and loved strain without having to also layer on more cannabis and THC. And then I think one of the more popular ways that they're being used is to make cartridges. Those shatter cartridges, from what I understand, they are using shatter and then it's just a couple of drops of this food grade terpene distillate that really makes it the kind of viscosity that can actually then be vaporized 
by those little pen batteries. And that was really interesting to me. Uh, let's see, you could also probably add it to tinctures, but these are really, really powerful things. And I don't know that they are all edible. So yeah, going back to that, I think in or if you're going to make edibles out of them, you probably want to double check with whatever company you're getting them from and make sure that they are edible grade. I think that they do tell you when they are and when they aren't. Because a lot of essential oils will tear you the fuck up from the inside. Not edible. Not edible at all. Uh, let's see here. Oh, another thing that you can do if you're taking RSO and it isn't either indica or sativa enough for you. Uh, again, you can't, it's not just about boosting swag. It's about your body signaling how to use those cannabinoids the best. And I think when it comes to that signaling, that's, that's the key that most people are looking for. They, they don't just want to know how terpenes work, why terpenes work. They want to know which terpenes work. And that is a really hard thing to say. And, and because of all these, knowing that all these different categories of fragrance particulates in the plant kingdom come together to make these very specific types of effects within the body through their smells, or at least I should say, which we identify through their smells, it becomes like mixing color. And Crayola is still coming up with new ones all the time. So trying to do the same thing within our body, just we just don't have the information yet. The great news is that the money is going to be there uh, in the market, in the industry. People are going to want to know this. And then those that aren't just in it for the money, you know, they're in it for the passion. They're still going to be there too. Hopefully being paid by those people with the money. I would... I would prefer somebody who's really passionate about cannabis be working on this whole thing. The good news is that there's been some industrious people out there already trying to work on helping people understand how to either one, be snobby about your cannabis <laughs> or, you know, be medicinally conscientious about your cannabis and that is the Greenhouse Seed Company. And I believe that I've posted their terpene wheel before, but I'm going to post it again on this blog post because it fits. And it breaks down all the flavors of the flower. Well, maybe not all of the flavors just yet, but they've got a lot of them for sure. And they break them down in a way that's really easy to understand. And it's a, a lot like using a color wheel uh, in the sense that you can traverse across it in different ways and create really different combinations and understand your flower, your bud that you're smoking on a bit better from, or at least learn how to describe it as a connoisseur using this. And the four primary are sweet, sour, bitter, and spicy. And you can move down from there. So from those four categories, it goes into citrus and dairy or sharp. And then it goes even to further into blossoms, garlic, milk, then into saffron, lime, pineapple, onion. And then after that, on the outside, it has different strains from the company, from Greenhouse Seeds, that fall, and, and I should say, and where they fall on this flavor wheel. But you can use it 
when you play around with your own strains in order to see how terpenes work together and how different strains breeding together might produce different scents and different phenotypes and what kind of direction you might want to go in. Uh, I've talked about mixing different strains to produce the flavor of a strain that I don't have at all because of the way that those those terpene combinations, the ester combination, the ketones, the terpenoids, sesquiterpenes, monoterpenes, the way all of those play together with their little cannabis specificity, because each plant has terpenes that are unique to it, and that includes cannabis. Every plant's terpenes, even though the fragrances are similar, can have a slightly different effect in the way that your body responds to it. And then when you get all of them mixed with cannabis, the world is your oyster. And so I figured I would smoke some of this double dream that I got, and we could break down some of these terpenes using the flavor wheel. So I just got a fresh batch of that double dream. Yes. And... I talked about it last time that, according to Leafly, it was a cross of Dream Star and Blue Dream, but that when I had been given it, I was told that it was a cross of Blue Dream and Dream Queen, which are two pretty different things. And I did find out that the grower got it as a clone, so basically I found out that I'm never going to know. What I do know is that I got some fine-ass fucking weed in front of me that's smelly as fuck. And I've got a flavor wheel to help me better understand it. All right, nose in the jar. So the first thing that I pull out is that it smells sour. And from my sour part of the wheel, I can say that it is definitely the dairy side of, of sour. I could have said that even beforehand, but I'm going to break it down as much as I can. I tend to skip steps all the time, though. So definitely sour and definitely dairy. Now, under the dairy section, there's milk and there's cream. And I would say that it leans towards cream, but it hasn't left milk yet. So in those sections, we're talking blue cheese, cream cheese, whipped cream, and sour cream. On the far end, we have butter and hot milk, and I don't, I don't smell any of that in there. We're leaning whipped cream to sour cream on this end. Now, under that sour whipped cream dairy nose, there's a bit of spiciness to it. A pungency. And this is where this flavor wheel starts to kind of fall apart and doesn't quite work for cannabis anymore because you want earthy. You want, like, pine isn't even anywhere on this flavor wheel as far as I can see. And pine is definitely a word, a descriptor for cannabis that's going to be used very frequently. So it isn't perfect. And as we begin to really pay stoners to actually put this kind of shit down, it's just going to get bigger and better. But we're not there yet. But I'm still going to follow that spicy section of the wheel and see if I can find out something else. Now, the next step is warm or sharp. I'm going to say that though it's pungent, 
it's a warm spicy. And that leads me to flavors that are cedar, black pepper, green pepper. And that's close. Next to that in the sharper version would be herbs, uh, rosemary, sage, thyme, basilicum. That's a little bit closer to where we're at. However, there's something in that dairy that's still very refreshing, something very light. And that takes me out of that spicy and into the bitter section where we get into the vegetal. And I really want to say that there's a cucumberness to it. It's uh, where maybe I don't quite get whipped cream or sour cream, and I don't quite get creamy black pepper. There's a freshness, a brightness to it. It's almost like cucumber, like a tzatziki sauce. And just a hint of berry flower, that elusive blueberry that smells better than it tastes. And if I shake the jar, that cucumber really comes to the forefront. Whereas when I open the jar the first time, you definitely get a cheesier berry quality to it out of it. And so, so much can play into what you get on the final nose. And playing with your cannabis is very important in order to pull out all of the different flavors that are actually present. Now, one of the strains that I like to use in order to play with my cannabis the most is golden pineapple. It's a great base for me. I really understand it as a strain. It has intense mint, fruit, and butter principles to it. And because I notice that, I can pull them out when I'm pairing them with other strains or see how they influence it even further. And in doing so, I've been able to notice how that butter, minty, mystery, tropical flavor, uh, when you throw in a piney woodsy underneath it, and uh, an Afghani type of strain gives it a very distinct diesel taste. And so if you like diesels but don't have access to diesels, mixing different strains together can still get you that, that target flavor that you want and therefore your target effect. And you can do the same thing when you mix concentrates together just much more effectively because the aroma is so prominent. Let's see what other flavors. Uh, cheesy berries mixed with golden pineapple bring out an almost chocolate-like taste. Uh, let's see. I had mixed some Dream Queen, which is really cheesy, a really cheesy Dream Queen that I had with some golden pineapple. And together, they were damn near exact to that chocolate hash berry that I used to have. And it's just it's just so much fun to play with these flavors. So what I'm going to do right now is I'm going to take some of that Dream Queen and I'm going to mix it with golden pineapple. And we're going to safety. All right, I got my Sherlock packed here. One half side is the Double Dream. The other half side is the golden pineapple. And this allows me to just torch it right in the middle, get both flavors on point and see how they combine together. I've got my hemp light and I've been using that beeline still that Bad Kitty Smile sent me. Thank you, Bad Cat. 
Mwah, I love you. And I love it. I'm digging it. I'm not going to lie. It's it's totally professional. I One of the things I don't tend to care for is the way that it comes. I like to buy my hemp wick like several hundred feet at a time. And the spool is just, then it gets a little waxy and it becomes kind of a problem. But when you just have it in like the 10 foot, 20 foot little matchbooks, that's why I prefer it. I like it and then it doesn't get so waxy, but I don't want to buy it 20, 30 feet at a time. I want to buy it 200 feet at a time. So we'll see if I go to it. In the meantime, I'm 100% enjoying its kick-assness. It isn't drying out. It isn't unraveling on me. Um, I still have some tests to put it through the ringer, but so far it's holding up really well. Oh, and it doesn't, it doesn't light into a ginormous flame out of nowhere on me. Like sometimes the Humboldt Hemp Book does in the finer, the, the finer options. But ain't no thing. That's what the hemp light for. You just snuff it out. All right. Cheers. Oh, wow. So that's a really dry mix together. It brings out a really champagne-y, hazy kind of flavor straight out the gate. That mint and the golden pineapple really kind of tone down the overwhelming dairiness of the double dream and give it kind of that dry floral, not overwhelming floral, just floral underneath kind of, oh, just totally dried out my tongue right there too. It sapped my tongue of all of its moisture. Whew. Let's try that one again. And then very citrus on the exhale. I definitely got some more of the golden pineapple on the exhale than I got out of the double dream. Yeah, it's still just a champagne a little lilac, and then maybe a little salt. Like, uh, not the way salt tastes, but if you've ever done breathing exercises to detox your body from salt, there's definitely like a dryness in your mouth that comes out of it, and it produces that same feel and taste to it. I should probably say scent. Uh, yeah, wow, how interesting. It basically... These two together make a haze. It's just like smoke. It tastes very much like a super silver haze. How interesting. All right, you guys. For the safety meeting, uh, outside of just smoking weed and talking about that, I wanted to let you know that in an effort to help support myself, I have put up some, I should say, I have signed up as an Amazon affiliate. And a lot of the links for products that I have on my page are now going to go uh, not just towards the product page themselves, because I still have a lot of those, but also to an Amazon listing where if you then make a purchase, I will get a small portion of uh, whatever profit was made. And I have no idea how much that is. I'd be lucky if I get like $4 a month out of this. But if you wanted to get yourself, say, the hemp light, and you go to my blog posting and follow the link that I have there in order to buy one, I will then in turn get a small portion uh, in order to contribute to the podcast and keep it going. 
In order to facilitate this process, there is the search bar on the website, on my website, thespliffpodcast.com, that you can use. So if you want to buy Bovida packs or the Hemp Light, things like that, want to go through Amazon, you can go through my site uh, currently, do a search, and then when you purchase it through that Amazon, theoretically, I should make something off of it. Uh, If you do do that hit me up and let me know because then I'll know if it works or not. I think I need to do some tweaking still and I definitely want to make it easier for people to find these links so they don't have to go digging through all of the podcast in order to do so. And I'm going to work some more on that. Another thing I have done is I started an online shop so that you could buy things like sweatshirts and lottie dotties with the Spliff podcast logo on them. Um, but the logo that I have right now isn't looking super hot on things like sweatshirts. It looks great on a coffee mug. You could go buy yourself a coffee mug. Um, so my friend Rin is going to be helping me out with that in order to get something that just looks a little bit cleaner on t-shirts, sweatshirts, and other kinds of gear. And then if you purchase one of those, I'll make a couple bucks off of it. And that will get me some, I'm going to use any money I make off of that in order to get some seed fund money together to actually go buy some inventory. Uh, Hopefully maybe get somebody local uh, to do some silk screening and actually have some physical inventory that I can build up and make a little bit better money off of it and charge you guys a little bit less for it at the same time. So I'm working on it. You can still make a contribution through the Patreon page, or you can make a contribution through PayPal if you'd like to do that and help me recover some of the costs that I've put in uh, mostly on the website. Help me get out to Colorado so I could take that fat dab with Rasta Jeff. That would be rad. Sharing with other people is also a great way to support the podcast if you can't do so financially. And... One of the easiest ways to share is to leave a rating and review on the iTunes in order to help boost the algorithms that iTunes uses in order to suggest podcasts when people are searching for something to listen to. All right, I'm going to hit the last of this, or maybe not the last. It was pretty dense and dank. I threw some pictures up on the Instagram if you want to check out that double dream. Oh, yeah, there's another small one in there. I have a small, bold pipe. So if you're like, what, three hits and she's done? Oh, just in time for the train. Take me to the land of make-believe. All right, you guys. Next time, I'm not totally sure what I'm going to talk about. I have a lot of ideas. Um, One of the things that I want to look into is this thing that kept popping up on Cannabis Health Radio, uh, who is doing some fundraising of their own right now and might not be able to last much longer if they don't make it. I don't know, but uh, they're doing their own thing. They focus mostly on RSO style applications and they certainly aren't as well educated on all of the uses of cannabis as I wish they maybe would be, uh, but they have some really interesting perspectives uh, just with the RSO. And one of the things that they talk about is cannabis hyperemesis which is something that I had heard about but really hadn't paid attention to and didn't hear often enough for it to really boil to the top. But they mentioned it several times. And then Rasta Jeff actually posted something 
on his Facebook page about it as well. And I would really want to look more into it and maybe give you kind of my thought processes on it once I've got those wrapped up together. But we'll see what comes out of that. I will address it one way or another um, because it's a serious side effect of the use of cannabis that could make you sick. It isn't lethal by any means, but it it has some serious health implications that have recently come to light in the news um, that could really, really push the types of pesticides that are being used in a lot of gardens and hopefully bring better information about what kind of pesticides should be used in the gardens. So maybe we'll talk about that. All right, you guys, that's all I've got for now. I think I rambled on plenty long enough. I'm going to get this edited, posted, do my thing, and I'm going to get back to listening to other people's podcasts. I can't. Yeah. (laughs) It's way easier. Thanks for spliffing it, guys. Ciao for now. But listening to so much grow from your heart that sometimes just out of nowhere, it's all. Yeah. It's like Dracula Claus. Like, it's scary. He might be there to take your presents, but he just sounds so jolly that, by gosh darn it, you're going to listen to what he has to say. <laughs>